Spader, Ryan Spader. By the way, you see what I did there? You're going to brand yourself now as the Ace of Spader. Why do you even call yourself Ryan anymore? I, uh, the Ace of Spader is actually a nickname that I've had for, fuck, uh, I want to say either eighth grade or freshman year of high school, and it was given to me by one of my coaches, and he would just... It, it, he would always get frustrated with me, as you might imagine somebody would uh, want to do, and um, he he would just be like, Ace of Spader, shut the hell up. <laughs> he was a gym teacher or what? No, 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 coach. coach. Oh, he was he a was, coach. Wasn't a, he was actually wasn't a, um, a teacher at all. He was actually a Domino's pizza driver. So the pizza driver gave you a nickname. And you've stayed with that for the rest of your life. It's a pretty good nickname. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's good. You're branding yourself well. The owners rejected the Players Association plan for the 114-game schedule. Mm-hmm. And the battle publicly continues. It's just such a bad look. Oh, my God. You've got these guys arguing. Even both sides. The players, I understand. But they look horrible in this, too. At this point... It's like, get your act together. They got to be the first sport bat. They got to be the first sport back, Spader. They have to be. Do you know what damage it's going to do if they're not? I mean, they, and like you said, an investment, right? You need to do it now for the future. They are absolutely dropping the ball. And if the season, uh, I'm going to say if the season is not played, it'll be more damaging than 92 or 94, 95 was. But in the event that, they're not even the first sport back. It's, it's going to be problematic for, for baseball. Very problematic for baseball. And we still have time. I think everybody was putting that you know, June 10th, right? Wasn't that the day they were talking about? Let's get things going by June 10th, spring training by June 10th so we can play July 4th. Man, that's dead. That's not happening. They've got to get, they've got to be the first sport back and not for just one night. Give yourself a couple of weeks to be on the stage. Everybody's going to make more money. It's just not, they're just not thinking of it that way. Yeah. It's, it's really weird to me, I guess, because if you're not having fans come, then it, it, it is costly for the owners, but they want to play this like 54, 60 game season. And of course the players want more because, uh, then they're earning a, larger percentage of their salary that they would otherwise earn. But again, it, it just goes back to, in my opinion, the owners really need to look at this as an investment on their own investment and not playing um, this season will absolutely hurt the future of baseball. Crush the future of baseball, I think. And there's still so much to gain too. They're not even look. How do you not look at it that way? 
they've got a chance to really gain an audience. I mean, with everything going on, let's just get a real baseball game going. Oh, it would mean so much. Come on, guys. Get this shit done already. It's so ridiculous. It's going to get done, right? You believe it, too. I still think there's going to be baseball played. Yeah. They're, they're, and I think it's, it's kind of, you got to look at it like exactly what you're saying, that it, it, the damages will be unrepairable as far as I'm concerned. And they, both sides have to know that. You hope that they know. I think they do know that. And maybe right now they just don't think that they care. Or maybe we're just going to have to find out when the like the hard deadline is. Maybe, you know, July 24th. I'm just throwing out an arbitrary number. Maybe a week before the other uh, sports start. They're just wasting time. They're wasting time. Just get your shit together. Uh, so who are you blaming in all this? Uh, it, it, I, I kind of see both sides. I, I wrote that piece recently that you mentioned. and um, Millionaires versus billionaires. It's on your website. Why don't you plug that? Uh, yeah, it's on theaceofspader.com, just like everything else associated with me. As you've said, I'm branding myself, right? Correct. Um, the, the title, I'll, I'll be honest, is a little bit of clickbait because it's not what it's about. It's not about millionaires versus billionaires. It's just about the fact that um, the players were promised something, and they're not getting it. They, uh, the owners, uh, now, in their defense, and something that I, I didn't really include in there, um, is that they did have the right to addend or uh, amend, rather, uh, amend the um, the agreement based on whether or not there would be fans. But the fact of the matter is, the players were hoping that for every game played they would receive that particular percentage of their uh, salary and it's it's well within the means for them to be paid that uh and then the other thing is that the um mlb owners as i've said many times they they just time after time refuse to be bullish on their own investment and it makes no sense to me they did this shit in what was it 1981 they did it in 87 with the collusion they did it in 94 95 and it it continues and uh, baseball is not going to grow it has a golden opportunity to grow under these horrible circumstances where people who otherwise might not be watching baseball will watch baseball and um in the piece basically my my overall take is the guy who says uh, millionaires versus billionaires you know I, i i'm sorry i have a hard time feeling badly for either one of them uh, that that guy can shut the hell up because you don't have the skill set that these people do. You don't generate the revenue that these people do. So it's it's difficult for some people to put themselves in that um, in their points of view. And uh, I I just I, I think that we're we're gonna have to find some some sort of middle ground here. So I have a hard time really sympathizing with the millionaires and the billionaires. I'm one of those guys. Well, you could shut the hell up. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. I'm totally not. I, um, I, you know, I wonder if Manfred is getting enough of the blame or he's getting too much of the blame in this at this point. Because here's, again, the commissioner does not work for the players. The commissioner is not the boss of the owners. The commissioner works for the owners. Okay? He's... He's there. He's basically the president of the owners, except the owners all have more power than him. That's how it works. 
You know, so I, I, I really don't think that Manfred has stepped up and said anything about at least trying to get a season started. I mean, can we at least say, hey, we'd love to get the season started? That would so, be nice. <laughs> I would love that. It, it, it's like at a stalemate right now is everything that I'm reading and seeing from Rosenthal and passing and all your other uh, usual suspects. And I think Manfred probably is getting more of the blame than um, than maybe what he deserves because Manfred has done some uh, terrible things <laughs> for the game and people generally don't like him. And uh, I think that's um, kind of why he's he's seeing a lot more blame here than maybe he deserves. Because So you it, think he is getting a lot of blame? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so where would you rank it then? Here's my sense on who's getting the most blame with this. I still think that the players are getting the most blame. I agree completely. Then the owners, because they're then in the, Manfred. They're in the public eye. Mm-hmm. I, I would say it's probably players, Manfred, and then owners. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think all it has to do with is the fact that some of these people are in the public's eye, and some of them are not. Most baseball fans cannot name the owner of their favorite team. Really? That's uh, what I would say, yeah. Hmm. Maybe, yeah, there's so many casual fans that go in there. Yeah. The only, like, the most notable owner, I think everybody would know Mark Cuban if he was their team's owner. Yeah, that's, about it. Yeah. And that's the wrong sport. Yeah, wrong sport entirely. And a yeah. sport that's a sport that's doing an incredible job oh. at helping players brand their, <laughs> brand their, brand themselves and um, getting back guys, to work before baseball. Yep. Jeez. <laughs> really, really interesting idea that the NBA has too with um, trying to keep uh, teams that would otherwise be out of it involved. The play-in, like a tournament. Yeah, the uh, round robin tournament. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 I think that's great. I think you got to get every single team invited for something, and the, the play-in tournament would be a perfect way because you can't just say, okay. Uh, you would have been out of a playoff spot anyways. Just stay home. You know how much it mean to for these players, for the for the fans to see their team go out there and play just for something? I mean, it just sucks. And I think the NHL is doing that. I, I, I got to look into the NHL plan. I've only well, seen the NBA. The NHL, the NHL is weird because I think, I think they're keeping out eight teams. And the that's other- what I, yeah, that's what I thought. Let's see here. Decision. Uh, they're gonna twenty four teams, dude. Yeah, it's it's that's really it's really a strange way to go about it, but um, especially because you know you have on those some of those teams do have superstars, and they all obviously have a city that supports them, and um, you're just gonna sideline them. Uh, it's 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 so strange. Hold on a sec. Hold on. Let me let me expl- let me read something to you. I'm just reading this because I don't want you to elaborate if if it's different from your take. Here, let me just read this. They announced their return to play, 24 teams. The tournament will begin with a 16-team, eight-series qualifying round, a seeding round robin among the top four teams in each conference to determine the seeds for the Stanley Cup. But you're so that still... says, That's it. So they're leaving teams at home. Exactly, yeah. <sighs> I, think, I, I don't think that's the way to go about it, but I, I, I also have heard that the NHL wants um, uh, next season to be as normal as possible. And I think that they're they're going to be kind of hamstrung in terms of doing that um, because there's no way you can... 
You can't have a Stanley Cup winner and then start the next season the next day. <laughs> no, you can't. That, that's a great point. You just can't do it. And there was something that Boris had said, and I, I kind of, kind of raised my eyebrows because right now he's just so involved. He's negotiating for the players because Tony Clark really is not strong enough. I, I, Tony is a man, is a wonderful person. Tony, I, I don't think, has done a good job for the players. Although, you know, this is a big battle here. If he wins this, then Tony Clark, all of a sudden their perception's different um, from that side. Well, one thing on Clark that I think people need to keep in mind is the fact that he's not actually the head of the Players Association. It's the players are. And it's the guys like Mike Trout and um, Justin Verlander, these guys who have already gotten paid uh, – what they want to do is what's going to happen at the end of the day. Correct. Just like the commissioner. That's it. Tony Clark is like the commissioner. Great. Great point. Yeah. So both sides, you know, I never really put that together that they, they were, that structure was the same way. Okay. So, um, I think that was a good conversation. I like that. And I'm saying that right here, right now. You want to do some Spader stats? Let's do it. All right, I'm not doing the intro this week. Oh, come on. you got to do the intro. It's not the... Spader stats, stats, stats. <laughs> Spader stats. Ooh, I, I, I've been looking at some of these. I'm excited. I'm excited. Cal Ripken Jr. stats. You got some? Yeah, uh, Ripken. So one of my f- – everybody's favorite thing about Ripken is the fact that he has that uh, Iron Man streak. But one of my favorite is the fact that before the Iron Man streak – Began the day before he actually did play in a game, uh, but he was down for game two of the doubleheader, and then that walked right into the um, his uh, his famous streak. Um, and uh, Ripken, it, one thing that I said that kind of uh, rubbed some people the wrong way is uh, maybe maybe a couple days off would have helped him throughout his career. And I realize he is the Iron Man, and that's part of what makes him who he is. But he still had over 3,000 career hits. If you look at his um, 162 games after his streak ended, and bear in mind, he's he's an old man in baseball terms at that point. He batted 294, um, 331, 511, with 40 doubles, 31 homers, and 104 RBI. And so... It, just looking at that, where he was taking days off on occasion and uh, nursing the injuries and everything, you, you just can't help but wonder how much better his overall career numbers, or at least his percentages, could have been had he not been the Iron Man. And then um, I would be remiss if I didn't say my favorite Ripken stat, and that is that he had 180.7 career defensive runs saved and only two Gold Glove awards. Uh, as compared to Derek Jeter, who had negative 253.3 defensive runs saved, if you can call it that, I would say cost. And uh, he won five Gold Glove awards. Mm. My stat for Cal Ripken is one, and that is the number of games I watched in the 1995 season. That was the game when he broke Lou Gehrig's streak. That was amazing. That was the only one you watched? That was literally the one game. I might. I think I went to a couple games between the Expos and the Mets. Now that I think, it's it took me till right now to remember that I went with my buddy Mitch Bornstein, great guy. Um, Mitch Bornstein, you guys would like each other. You both like money a lot. Hey. That's why I like you. <laughs> 
But yeah, that was it. That was the only game I watched all season long. Yep. And then I don't don't think I watched another game until uh, the World Series of 1996. Wow, you're tapped out. I was upset, man. I was I was hurt. I wanted see the owners and the players really don't remember it like it was too. I mean, that's that, that was heartbreaking. Like that hurt to the core cuz th- that was still my that was my favorite sport. And all the think of all the kids there's in 1994-95 baseball was still huge in 94 Spader. I mean, do you have you ever looked into that like back before all this when the it was just huge. Um well for me, I was I don't really remember baseball until after the strike anyway. Mm-hmm. And because I was 5 years old in 94, you know, I don't remember what the hell. I was shitting my pants. <laughs> no, you probably weren't doing that anymore. I I, I pissed the bed until I was 7 years old, so, oh, ma- sh- so maybe. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. Oh, poor guy. How you doing now? How often uh, does it happen? I, I haven't. I, it, you know, it's funny. I, I haven't. I haven't. I've pissed the bed in a long time. But there's that great um, video of George Brett saying that, like, I'm. Uh, you yes, know, I shit. I yes. shit my pants the other day, and he's like, uh, he's like, I'm good for one or two of those a year. And I'm like, ah, oh, Brett, man, uh, maybe not one or two a year, but I've one been there, brother. A year. <laughs> a year. I don't want to get into the <laughs> so, pants. It's so great. It's so great. If you listen to it the way he's describing it, though, he goes, it's just water running down my legs. Uh, it's so disgusting. And I'm saying to myself, the ultimate, I just don't give a fuck what you think about me. I'm going to tell you this goddamn story, and you're going to listen to it. You're going to listen to me talk about shitting myself multiple times a year. Both hands, right side. Part of left side. I shit my pants last night. <laughs> I did. Went out and had a great meal, just a great fucking meal. And I had to go to the bathroom so bad in the car. I'm going, travel, hurry up, man. I got shit. I had fucking shit in my pants. I went and did. I'm good uh, twice a year for that. When was the last time you shit your pants? Yeah. Been a while? I was in Vegas a couple years ago. Just an honest to God true story. Staying at the Bellagio. I went over to the Mirage for dinner, met some friends of mine over there. Went to Kokomo's, a great little steakhouse. The guy brings out some fresh crab legs. These just came in, I gotta give them to you guys. I'm eating them. Then we go play gamble a little bit. I had a tea time early in the morning. So I said, look, I gotta get going. I'm walking back to the hotel. I get three quarters of the way out of the lobby and all of a sudden I go, oh fuck. And I'm standing here like this. I got my butt pinched so fucking. I'm I'm fucked. I can't move. All of a sudden, you know, felt all right. I went just like this. Water. I had that some food poisoning from the crabs. Take off my leather jacket. Tied it around my waist. And I'm just standing there, and it's just running down my leg. I got jeans on, black bucks, no socks, and uh, I just start fucking walking. Every time I'm walking. Something's coming out. It's water. Straight fucking water. Then, to tell you how sick I was, tell you how sick I was, then I'm standing outside and I got on my cell phone and I call the guy. I said, Larry, you won't believe this. I'm standing outside the fucking Bellagio. 
I can't move. I got shit everywhere. I shit all over myself. And Larry's about a 48 waist. So he brings me over a pair of pants and, a, and some towels and some towels. And so he then he comes over and he meets me where I'm. I tell him where I'm standing. He finds the closest bathroom. When you go up the escalator, you go into the fuck. I can't get in the elevator. So so he goes in. He finds the closest bathroom in the lobby of the hotel. And then I get in the escalator. And he kind of pretends like he dropped something. So no one gets behind me. Tells me where it is. I go in there. He goes and gets the towel all wet for me, throws it over the fucking stall. I take off all my fucking clothes, just wipe off, leave my shoes, left my shoes, my pants, everything right there, the towels right there in the stall, and I'm walking barefoot with my shirt and his pants that are 48 waist through the lobby like this at midnight. Got up in the morning, took the most perfect double tapered shit I've ever had in my life. True story. Who's the pitchers in this game? Really didn't think this is where we were going, but right on. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's your fault, man. Oh, Dude, oh let's do some more stats. Let's do some more right. stats. Who do you, who do you, we well, got now? Uh, I want George Brett shit stats. <laughs> I don't, unfortunately, I don't have any Brett. <laughs> Ted Williams. Ted Williams. Yeah. Ted Williams. Uh, so he's got one of my favorite record streaks ever, and it's from May 31st to June 24th, 1948. He reached base safely multiple times in 21 straight games and batted 486, 635, 851 uh, during that stretch. And um, Williams, very well known, of course, for his um, uh, participation in World War II. However, when he was in World War II, for the majority of the time, he was actually just in um, training. He didn't didn't see any... um, combat or anything uh, during World War II. Uh, however, he did fra- uh, during um, gosh, the Korean War. And, uh, but so it, unrelated to baseball, another one of my favorite facts about Ted Williams is during the Korean War, he flew 39 combat missions. He was actually hit three times. He almost died in one of the, um, one of the times he had a crash landing. And uh, he was awarded three different air medals for his, um, his uh, heroics during the Korean War. But getting back to that 1941, the 47 period where uh, World War II was uh, encapsulated is the, um, in 41 he batted 406, 42 uh, won the Triple Crown, 43, 44, and 45 is World War II. Uh, 46, you got an MVP again, and then 47, another Triple Crown. The guy was just absolutely incredible. And uh, I got I to gotta throw you, my, my favorite all-time is if you look at overall leaders since 1931, Ted Williams leads in batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS, Adjusted OPS, WOBA, and weighted runs created plus. So he, he leads in everything. It's the best. Was he, was he better than Barry Bonds? Uh, I'm, I'm such, I go back and forth on Barry Bonds. And, so today you're on Ted Williams because you said Williams is the best. Yeah, but then I, I, Barry Bonds, it's, 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 a, it's difficult for me because I saw Barry Bonds. And um, I, I just never saw anybody dominate a sport like Barry Bonds did. I, I mean, I saw the end of Jordan's career. Or I saw the end of Gretzky's yeah. career. I never saw somebody dominate their sport the way that Barry Bonds does. And that's including uh, Mike Trout. 
So I was too young to remember Gretzky's amazing start. Like I saw him toward the end of his Edmonton years, but I mean, there were years that he just did things that nobody else has done. And then you talk about Barry Bonds, and I think about all sports. What is it, maybe a three- or a four-year span where he was just so much better than everybody else in the game? Like, Mike Trout is better than everyone in the game, but Barry Bonds was so much better than everybody else in the game. And, I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. was still playing back then, too. There's some really good fucking players back then. Barry Bonds, Ted Williams. Mm. I don't know, man. (laughs) You've seen one. I mean... The lore of Ted Williams, though. How about all the numbers? He's first in everything. Since 1931, yeah. And, and then you also have to – I think part of what makes Ted Williams great is the fact that he gave up in its entirety five seasons to fight for this country during his prime. But um, he sustained serious injuries that really impacted his ability to play on the field. Um, you, you, you look at the amount of time that he played – after the Korean War, and uh, he, he he had very uh, a very limited number of seasons in which he qualified for because he wasn't you know he wasn't able to stay on the field because he wasn't um, entirely healthy. Hopefully, he was getting some uh, some VA benefits. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, Williams is just it's just a really fun person to look back on. Uh, he, he's like you remember that um uh, that uh thing i sent you from mickey mantle the letter yes. that he wrote and he signed it the all-american boy mm-hmm. so ted williams was the all-american boy he's best baseball player in the country he's a marine fighter pilot like he he, he what and then on top of all that he's in the um uh, i don't know if you know this but he's in the international uh game and fish association hall of fame he's the only player uh both in the major league baseball hall of fame and the igaff Hall of Fame. Uh, he will be joined by Wade Boggs, though. Did I ever give you that book, Hitter? You did, and I, 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 I'm actually looking at it right now. Have you read it? So on my, I, I picked it up. I didn't read it cover to cover. Um, I, uh, dude, he's just—it's fucking amazing. It, it's just his thoughts, how to hit, how to how to be everything about it. It's just an amazing book, such an amazing book. Well, he he was. Um, like it, I, I, we talked about Gretzky, and something that I find fascinating about Gretzky, one of my favorite things ever, is when he was eight, nine years old, he used to watch hockey games, and he would trace on a piece of paper where the puck was, so that he could find where it was the majority of the time throughout a game, which is incredible for him being like eight years old and doing that stuff. But that's advanced analytics stuff right there. And Ted Williams, I mean, he, he's somebody who they were shifting on. 60 years before anybody was shifting. They were shifting on this guy. And his, um, in, I guess without using the term, but he, he very much like created the idea of launch angle with that slight uppercut swing. But that is the amazing thing about it. That whole book and everything, that whole man, everything he was talking about back then completely applies to the game today. Yeah, his approach has, but he was so much better. Like he, he just didn't strike out like these guys are doing today. He hit every bit as well and probably better. But that's how great Ted Williams was. Yeah, by by far and away, one of the greatest players of all time. When I when I go with my top three, I always say Barry Bonds, Babe Ruth, and Ted Williams. I think you're hitting guys from each era, 
and um, it, it's a coin flip for me. I, I don't really care who you rank number one out of those three. I just think it has to be one of those guys. I just have a hard time. Babe Ruth was just so much better than everybody else. But I don't know how he did against Negro League players. Would you know anything about that? Uh, I, I, I honestly, I, I don't have. Me neither. I, I think he faced. Um, I think he faced. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I think there was exhibitions or something, and mm-hmm. rumors of him being struck out by some guys. But um, when when you're just that much better, like 100 percent better than your peers. Mm-hmm. Which is what he he was. I think his OPS for his career adjusted was a hundred and six percent above league average, and you look at the teams, the amount of teams that played at that time, uh, eight in each league, and you're only facing seven of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his his OPS plus was two hundred six, so one hundred six percent above league average. Um, but when you look at the um, the concentration of talent, despite the fact that. Uh, black ball players were unjustly not allowed to play in the major leagues he still was <laughs> that much better that he's got to be in the conversation hmm. all right here's the last thing could have led with it decided to bury it hundred dollars we did another bet right yes sir all right what is our bet uh i think we have so july 4th is the date that's been talked about Mm-hmm. And um, I, I still think baseball's coming back. And so we, I wanted July 4th, double or nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I decided to give you one more day. And we're going to go July 3rd, double or nothing. Baseball's right. coming back. So our first bet was baseball would not be back in play by June 1st. That netted me $100. And now we got the double or nothing on this bet. I hope you realize I'm, I'm not going to like Venmo you or anything. You're, yeah, you I get, know. And it, it, we talked about it. It's, it's a shame that the conversation got cut off because this computer has been causing me problems every single time we try to do something. But it's such a shame that we got cut off with uh, Big Cat because <laughs> I really enjoyed his take on like, yeah, I mean, you can pay the guy in nickels, but the gambling gods will frown upon this move. <laughs> they will frown upon it. And it's going to cost you extra in postage. And that's terrific, too. The USPS, they need your money right now. They're struggling. I, I, I don't particularly uh, care about sending. Oh, I know you don't. The, but so, thanks so for supporting them. My, th- my, my thing is um, uh, I'm not paying you <laughs> if you win. MGM, <laughs> MGM is paying you. <laughs> MGM is paying both of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yes, that is the next bet, Ryan Spader. I'm looking forward to baseball. Just I just want to bet. I just want to do some player prop bets. That's all I want to do. I want to watch a game. Uh, player props in baseball are so tough, man. No, they're not. Yeah, it is. It, no. Do you, do, you know why? Because it's the thing I'm best at when it comes to fantasy and daily fantasy stuff. Yeah. That's, the like, the one niche that I have. Did you um, – uh, do you do those ones where it's like you say who has m- more total bases, Mike Trout or Ozzie Albies in a game, and y- you get uh, odds on either one of them? Yeah. 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 I, I, but there's I, other – yeah, I, I like going head-to-head props. I like yes. doing over, over-unders over on uh, strikeout totals, but you bring up um, – Hold on. Tell me about that. Why do you like the over-under in Kato's? I, I think you can get a good read on what a pitcher is going to do uh, based on his opponent's. 
and the tendencies and everything. And I, I just, I think I'm better at Vegas, uh, better than Vegas at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I've always found that I, I, I've been able to um, win at those. Less so the who's going to have more total bases, this player versus that player, because all it takes is one fluke. And it's not a fluke. When you, when you have major league talent, these guys are capable of hitting a baseball out of the ballpark, but four total bases versus somebody who goes three for four with three singles and, and you're out. But um, you're bringing a, you bring up the uh, DraftKings stuff, and I would be remiss if I – every single time you bring that up, I, I do want to remind you that I won out of 8,771 people this second day that I, I did that. Yes, I, I will admit to that. And uh, but you, if again, but if that really mattered, you would have if you didn't know it was just luck because it didn't, you had no skill in that, uh, you would have done it again. Uh, I, I, I mean, anybody could do something one time. Hell, you could host a talk show for an hour by yourself one time. How about doing it two times, three times? Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. It just really, it didn't really, it, it just, I didn't really like it, to be honest. Yeah. It's, you got to put in so, so for me, the way that I am, you got to put in so much effort in order to um, make sure that you're not, like, just like the stock market, right? You got to, it's so much freaking work. And here, I just pulled it up. I want to make sure I'm not lying. Uh, I said, so this was the tweet that I sent on. Uh, May 24th, 2017, I said, decided to give DraftKings a try with the rest of you fantasy nerds. Signed up yesterday. Finally won one. And I think one of the first comments was, <laughs> no, these, the comments are actually pretty great. It's a bunch of people telling me to fuck off, <laughs> <laughs> including you. <laughs> you know, you just pull a Costanza like, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty good. I got a good record. I'm out. I'll, I'll tell you what. If, ba- if baseball starts back up, maybe I'll um, I'll uh, I'll fire that back up. Because you're right. It is it is fun. And <laughs> but it's oh god, it's brutal. I got second in another one here too. Second, twenty seventh. It's pretty good numbers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can finish top ten, depending on the contest, like the bigger contests, you can really win. But. Smaller fields with uh, you know higher entries, fifty bucks, hundred bucks. Yeah, well, I'll, I actually recalled. You know what won me? Um, that one that I won was a. Uh, you know how you get to the point where you only have I, I think you get what is it hundreds that they rate the players where you, you get three hundred bucks, four hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, trout's like a thousand or something. Right, I, I, Yeah, I think I was down to. Um, uh, my last hundred bucks, and I needed a utility guy, and I took Ryan Goins. Goins, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, and uh, but he hit a grand slam, <laughs> and that's what won it for me. Oh my god, that's just—I mean—that's the way it is, though. That's—it's very, you know, baseball is unpredictable, but yeah, still, but it, I think there are—if you can do head-to-heads, it makes it a lot more predictable. The, the fact that the fact that the guy was owned. Um, by, I, I, I mean, he batted 237 in 2017. And I think he was owned by, um, what was it, uh, like 2% of the teams or something like that. Hmm. And then he hit that grand slam. Uh, here, I just pulled up the game against the Brewers. He went two for four with a double and a grand slam. And uh, he was <laughs> going into that game. This is actually great. I think <laughs> that I had to <laughs> pick this guy. He was batting 202, 258, 316 on the season. <laughs> Cecilio Guante? 
Yeah, it's that's my uh, my 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 bit for the day. You know, I, I as as we've talked about a few times, we I take a um, a random, usually relief pitcher, in um, from the '80s or the '90s. But he actually had a pretty good career. He three oh six ERA in five seasons for the Pirates. Pretty solid reliever before relievers were really um, uh, seen as like a premium in baseball. And um, he. Uh, had a career uh, ERA plus that was 11% above league average. And you look at his best seasons, he had a, a several seasons with an ERA under three, two for the Pirates, uh, one in a season in which he pitched for both the Yankees and the Rangers, and then just kind of finished off at 30 with the Indians with a 5.01 ERA. And I'd, I'd be really interested to know what he's doing because I was looking at his career earnings and he made, according to uh, Baseball Reference, about two and a half million dollars in his career. Uh, but he's from the Dominican, and I'm I'm just curious if he took his money and just went back and is living, living his life as a wealthy man in the Dominican. I don't know. I just remember the first full season I can remember for like from opening day to the last play of the season was 1985, and being a Mets fan, they would see the Pirates all the time. They're in the same division. And Cecilio Guante was a pain in the ass, and I also thought he had a funny name, Cecilio Guante, and this guy was a badass. And you know what? Now I'm going to pull his numbers up. He was not a bad pitcher at all. No, he had some great. Se- it's 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 just really weird that when you find these guys who he ha- had a good season at 29. Three nine one ERA. He was better than league average. But then the following season, he pitched poorly. He was only thirty years old, and then he was done. I'm looking at um, his uh, Baseball Reference page, though, and in I, I never even heard of this league. In 1992, at 32, he pitched in the Uni President uh, CPBL. What is this? Uh, Chinese Professional Baseball League in '92. Go figure. And he had a two three six ERA. Pitched really well for the um, Uni President Lions in uh, Tainan. China? Yeah. Take your best shot, buddy. Yeah. That's uh, pretty, pretty, pretty solid uh, career. I'm interested. Maybe we'll have to see if we can get him on here. <laughs> Just to talk to him about that? Completely yeah, what, random stuff? What the, what the hell? What, what the hell are you up to now? So I'm looking He's at a that. Terrible hitter. Fuck. He is? Oh yeah, three for forty nine for his career. Yeah. Thirty three for forty nine with thirty three strikeouts. Probably better than I would do though. The fact that he actually hit that many times because he had to have started some games, didn't he? Uh, he had to. Have. Yeah, they, 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 yeah. There he was, was no, starter. there was no like exclusive relief pitchers really in the eighties, except for the Gossages and the Fingers and all those guys. They they all yeah. started out starters. They're fifth starters and oh, stuff sh- like that. How about this? <laughs> He only started one career game, and it was in his final season. Are you kidding me? Yeah, 1990. Uh, just one. All right. That's wild. Well, have you looked at the rest of that roster? Like, oh, my God, Rick Roden was their ace, and he went on, and he was, like, one of the better uh, golfers on the U.S. Senior Tour. This is insane, actually. What? Are we going back to Cecilio Guante? Yes. All right, let's go. He started one career game, and it was his final game. <laughs> That's cool. Something, had, something had to happen. What do you mean? 
because then he didn't pitch again. He didn't. He pitched in China in 1992. He didn't pitch in 1991. Pretty sure they said, here you go. Here's your last game. Go start it. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to figure it out. Maybe, maybe we'll bring it back next week when we talk about uh, Jose De Leon, 2-19. and 19. Hmm. Wins and losses don't matter. I'll tell you this much. You're 2-19. You fucking suck. <laughs> What year was that? Uh, that was 85. <laughs> Let's see here. Yeah, he, 162 innings. Let's see here. Yeah, he wasn't related to the Jose. He wasn't related to the Jose De Leon that pitched um, uh, a couple years ago, was he? I have no idea. He had a 1395 whip, 7.6 no, hits name per nine. Different. It wasn't very good. Jesus, yeah, he lost nine. He lost nineteen games two different times. That's not, yeah, four. That's not easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look at his. So you got to look at the adjusted ERA when you're looking at these Mm -hmm. things. And like four point seven, you look at that and they're like, "Eh, you know, you could get by with that in today's. Well, he had a seventy-seven, twenty-three percent below league average in terms of his adjusted ERA. That's just brutal. But he he didn't have a terrible career overall. With if you look away from the. uh, win and loss totals. You're a plus? Yes, sir. One okay. of two for his career. So if you look at his best seasons, he had some seasons where he was well above league average. Generally a pretty good indicator of... Um, Jose De Leon. Yes. Did he, did he suck well, when he, he was 2-19 in 85? Yeah, that's pretty bad, man. <laughs> he can't lose 19 games. Poor Anthony Young, man. That guy, and what a tremendous individual um, that Anthony Young was. He he set the record for most consecutive losses with the, and it was with the Mets back. I want to say it was in the early to mid nineties. Poor guy, just could not catch a break. And the way they looked at it, they didn't have any of these numbers. So you lose, and you're just like you suck. <laughs> you know, one in sixteen in nineteen ninety three. So, as hard as this is to believe, that season he went two and nineteen. Guys yeah. only hit two thirty one against him. That's good. He had two. They had two thirty one, three thirty two, three fifty seven. So none of. I mean, the, it's a little bit of an egregious difference between the batting average and the on base percentage because when you walk a guy every other inning with eighty nine walks over one hundred sixty two point two innings pitched. So what is the most egregious? Uh, difference between wins and losses and actual performance. Like, have you done a column on that? Have you? No, that's actually a good idea. That? That, that's a good idea, though. And yeah, I'll be I, your would, editor. I would say probably Felix Hernandez. Uh, the year he won the Cy Young Award is probably up there. But there's there's got to be some. Oh, uh, you know what? To f- actually, the Ponce de Leon. Got, what about this guy? No, 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 no. Lost team two times. No, no, no. That's here. No, Look. Jose de Jose de Leon. Yeah, Ponce, Ponce, You said Ponce de Leon. How about I know? I know. <laughs> how about um, Nolan Ryan in 1987? Led the league in ERA when eight and sixteen. Yeah, I mean that's he, not. Yo, but eight and sixteen is fine. Two and nineteen. That's bad. One but and sixteen. Dude, when you lead the league in ERA, strikeouts, fielder, independent pitching, uh, ERA plus, hits. Per I nine get innings, it, man. I strikeouts get it. per nine, strikeouts per walk, but and then you go eight and sixteen. That's bad. Eight wins is so much more than one or two. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing these guys' records. And I, th- I wonder if if Young really wasn't that bad 
when he went one and sixteen and set the consecutive loss record. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You want to sign off? Say goodbye. No. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Uh.